Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you, everyone. And could I just begin by thanking those of you that have sent gifts to the ministry that enables us to do this week by week. And especially to those of you who are listening in North America, thank you, because your gifts enable persons in other parts of the world who could never afford this. I was speaking this week to someone in Venezuela, which is the forgotten worst place in the world to live, starvation, violence, and there are persons down there in the middle of that chaos uh, where the inflation rate is nearly 500% and um, they're able to sit and listen to this with you every week and you're paying for that for them and I thank you and they thank you okay I want to talk around a text that we've looked at before but I want to look at it um, in a different way and that text is in Psalm number 3 In my book, uh, Psalm number 3 is there in the same um, way as Psalm 23. It seems you can never get to the bottom of it. So let me read these first few verses of Psalm number 3. Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there's no help for him in God. And then notice the word we leave out so often when we're reading, at the end of that it says, Selah, which means pause in the presence of God and think about that. Then verse 3, But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. Selah, pause in the presence of God and think about that. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Okay, the actual situation in which David wrote this, it's it's ahead of the psalm. This isn't a guess. It says right up there at the top, this is a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. And if you follow the events of that time, David was fleeing the city of Jerusalem as a refugee because his son Absalom had caused civil war and was now proclaiming himself as king and wanted to kill David. 
Okay. Uh, David leaves the city with a handful of loyal followers and persons to protect him, the soldiers, uh, the part of the army that came with him. And he goes out of Jerusalem and goes up a hill. And from there he turns around and looks at the city and wonders if he'll ever see it again. At that place that he was moving through to that time would be a thousand so years later called the Garden of Gethsemane. Very interesting. And there at the top of that hill or thereabouts, David wrote Psalm number three or the events of Psalm number three took place. That's the story. But as I look at what is going on inside of David, and I realize when I look there, then there are multiple possibilities here. This has happened to all of us, though I doubt that there's anyone in the audience who is a king, who has been betrayed by one of the princes, who is presently in the middle of civil war. But the very emotions and the mental agony that David is going through at this time and reflected in these verses, now that's a different matter, um, multiple persons in as many different situations have gone through the very same thing. Have you, are you being betrayed by your best friend, your dearest friend, and they've now stabbed you in the back? You see, that's here too. Because David's best friend had gone over to Absalom and carried with him the very secrets of David's heart. Betrayal can happen to many persons in many different ways. Have you, you felt so lonely that every person has left you? A deep aloneness with all the fears that come with it? rejected by those nearest and dearest to you. I mean, in this case, it was his own son that carried a sword that he wants to put through the heart of his father. And, and he's king, and therefore all this is taking place. You could say on Fox News and CNN, everybody is, see, this is the king. This is taking place on a scale that goes from coast to coast and beyond. He is shamed. The great David is now left, betrayed, alone, shamed. Oh yes, hung his head before the people. He's unable to do anything. The great David that could conquer now is running for his life. And in running, he's lost everything. He's left his palace. He's left his possessions. All he's got is, is a knapsack for overnight stays out in the wilderness to which they flee. And this isn't just um, bills that he can't pay. You see. The, the, the person in this case is seeking his life. Okay. Do you see what I mean? There are many things that have happened to you or are presently happening that these words that I've just used could be used to describe it. We've been here. There's a number of us that are here. 
And out of this situation came other terrible words that could describe the situation that you and I have been through probably within the last year. Words like hopeless, words like despair. It's when the whispers of the darkness bring us to the edge of depression. That's what this psalm is about. And so, in a sense, forget Absalom and forget that let's get to what was really gnawing like a rat in the heart of David. Because this psalm is a summary. It it, it sums up the experience and sums up his thinking. It sums up how in God he came through this. The first thing, Lord, how have they increased to trouble me? Many rise up against me. Many who say of me there's no help for him in God. He's, he's done. He's finished. He's the loser. Let him go off, get lost in the wilderness, and we start afresh. Young chap Absalom, let's... He, David's finished. Now, the fact he says that in verses 1 and 2, hear me carefully... He's not just an observer sitting on the sidelines telling something about David. He's not looking at another figure as if watching a movie and saying, this is what's happening. No, he's saying this. Can you get inside these words? David, out of his own heart core, he is saying, Lord, how many are they've increased to trouble me and so on. He is speaking from within. And therefore, these things, the fact that people are troubling him, and that's a strong word, actually, they have risen up against him, betrayed him, trampled over him. Many who say there's no help for him in God. He was and reported what they're saying down at the local Starbucks. He is... He, he's felt all of this. Do you understand? that the, These words that the people are saying have come like a poisonous gas inside his head and they whisper in the darkness of the night. He's, he's hearing in his head they are thoughts that seem to have blanketed the city, blanketed the nation, and they, they've come in, into him and he's feeling it. And and as he cries to God, he's expressing the trouble. They're rising up against me. And I'm hearing this. There's no help for him in God. Only the him now is him. And it's inside of him. Do you get this? Well, just a minute. Let's look at the thoughts, you see. People burn out on thoughts. People have nervous breakdowns over thoughts. Thoughts determine how you live today and tomorrow. Thoughts. And he's reporting on the thoughts that caused this psalm to be written. <clears throat> Take out those thoughts and there'd be no psalm left. This is what it's all about. The thoughts. Where do they come from? Well, they, come, they originate in Satan, the liar... And specifically for his name, in fact, it's embedded inside the name Satan, is the accuser. 
I want you to really hear this because so many times we think that thoughts have human origin. Well, of course they do. Let, let me retract that. Thoughts do have human origin. But there are some thoughts and, and, and they come and they, they've got hooks on them. And, and, and they're parasitical. They come and they grab a hold of you and, and you feel it's almost like an arrow that's cut into you. But it's a thought. It's an idea. And it, it, it takes over your mind and your thinking. And it, it's devilish and it's bringing death into your whole being and depression and hopelessness and darkness. Where did that come from? Where, where does it come from that many who are saying, well, what's happened to the city? What's happened out there in the countryside? Everybody's saying the same thing. It seems an energy has been let loose. And it comes into people's mind and they talk about it and they discuss it and pass it on. There's no help for him in God. He's a loser. He's gone. He's finished. Where does it come from? It's the accuser. The accuser, Satan, he's the origin here. This is where it really starts. He is hurling satanic thoughts into the minds of people, including David's. And they're saying that he's not worthy. He's not worthy. He's got no value to God. He's a worn-out hack horse. He's finished. He's not worthy of the love of God. He's doing nothing. That's when he was a young chap. But now he, he's gone. God doesn't care about him anymore. God's into the upcoming generation. God's into the Absaloms, you see. You're, you're old now, David. You're finished. And your track record in the last decades has not been very impressive. You're... You're not enough, David. You're not enough to handle life right now. You're done. You're finished. Don't call on the covenant love of God. You're over. You're finished. He couldn't he couldn't bother with you now. You're you're too nothing for God to bother with. But of course, underneath that, there's a far worse accusation, and that's why I can say absolutely this has its origin in Satan because the accusation although it seems immediately to be of David but it's a it's an accusation concerning the very being of God for God is love and his faithfulness he is covenant love which means he has sworn by himself that he is love toward you, that he will never leave you, never forsake you. And because it's covenant, and God gave us those words within a covenant context, God is saying, if I don't keep my word to you, then God himself will cease to be. Or as Psalm 89 says, he will not alter his word of covenant. It cannot be altered, cannot be changed, can never fail. And yet you see this mental thought, energy darkness, 
that is zipping into people's minds and cropping up in conversations and even getting a hook inside of David is saying that God who has been with you, God who swore his presence to you, uh, that's over. There's no help for you in God. That's, That's a slander on the being of God. That's blasphemy at its root. Where did that come from? Oh, I know that it's just talked about on the streets and it dribbles out of people's mouths. And Yeah, but where did it come from? Where did the idea originate? It's got Satan written all over it. Its fingerprints are there. See, be careful of thoughts that come into your head. Be careful of what people say to you. Be careful of the energy that's abroad in the world. Because if you stand back far enough, you begin to say, how could anybody believe that? How could anybody say that? And yet they're not only saying it, but everybody's saying, hurrah, hurrah. Where did it come from? You see what I'm saying? But then, of course, as I said, it, it sort of got out there to everybody. It was general opinion. It was an invisible gas on the street that everybody was getting influenced by. I mean, come on. Join the crowd down there at the local. I mean, the facts. The facts. Always the facts, you see. The facts back up what we're saying, isn't it? He's been betrayed by his own son. His own family. They don't trust him. I mean, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? They're the facts. And his best friend, so rumor has it, has gone over to Absalom. His own best friend, who probably knew him better than Absalom did. And he he can't trust him. He's left him. He's gone over now. I mean, there's no smoke without fire, is there? We all know that. And so, of course, if everybody's leaving David, well, there must be something to it. There must be. There's got to be something wrong, you see. Everybody can't be wrong. I mean, it's, they've all made this decision to quit, to leave. Yeah, obviously, obviously. Do the logic, do the math. There's no hope for him in God. If everybody's forsaken him, if everybody says he's no good, then I'm pretty certain God's saying the same thing, don't you think? Don't you think? And everybody throws in their two-cent piece, and yes, why not? You've got to see the facts. I wonder where that comes from. They, they call it common sense. They call it general public opinion. If it was a democracy, they all would have voted in that way. But hold it, hold it. Careful, careful. Careful of public opinion, if it's about you especially. Careful what everybody thinks. Even be careful what your family thinks. Because we're reading this, but we know the end of the story. And therefore... Yes, all these people were wrong. This was the great liar spewing his lie out. But of course, right at the heart of it, the the thoughts obviously gripped David. David now, 
he he knows the torment of many who they've only got one intention and that is to trouble me and rise up against me in my face that I've got enemies and sometimes enemies can be faceless that they, they can belong to a corporation they, they, and we don't know really who but it but it's, it's it's against it's against it's to destroy leave you in shreds have you done Oh yes, the thoughts that got a hold in him. He's not a disinterested observer. He's right in the middle of this. And you see how it works. You see, there's an element of truth to this. I mean, he is old. Good grief. Um, at this, this time when all this was taking place, David was creeping up on my age. Uh, and, and you get plenty of people who say, well, you're old, make room for the young, get out of the way. You've had your say, get, it's to, you're, you're finished now. You're old, your hair is gray. Forget it. And for David, there's no question he'd failed his family. And failed Absalom, for sure, as a dysfunctional family. Yes. And back there, there's marital unfaithfulness. Remember Bathsheba, that was back there. And, and, and the thought comes, what if they're right? What if all the people are right? What if Absalom's right? You know how that paralyzes you? Paralyzes your mind? There's no creative thinking? All you see is impossible, impossible, impossible. I'm trapped like a rat in a corner. No hope, despair, finished. And you know, the, these thoughts that, that have Satan as origin, that latch on to our flesh, our mortality, that has no place for the presence of God, uh, when we begin to think like an independent idiot, it brings with it a deep-seated belief. It's very hard to explain it. But in such circumstances, when everything seems to be going wrong, there's that feeling that despair and hopelessness is the proper thing to do. You're supposed to be afraid. You're, you're supposed to. It's a sort of a legal thing. Now that everything is happening like this, well, you're supposed to feel hopeless. You're, you're supposed to drag your feet through life. Anxiety is the correct way to handle it. Now don't gloss over this too quickly. It's amazing. People will think of worry and concern, anxiety, and all the other ways of, of darkness in terms of thinking and emotions. They think of that as normal. I had an aunt once, and I remember her saying, she, in a certain situation, she says, well, uh, there's not much I can do for you, but I, I, I'll worry for you. Huh. As if there was something good about that. Do you know what I'm talking about? If, if I'm not concerned, if I'm not worried, if I'm not torn up with anxiety, with black rings under my eyes, then I've sort of let somebody down. I ought to be worrying. 
You've certainly let yourself down. You, you're probably in denial. That's it. That's a good word. You're in denial. You're irresponsible. You're supposed to be worried. You're supposed to be in despair. Hmm. Well, I suppose if all you've got is your flesh, yourself, your independent human in the middle of a great universe all by yourself, I suppose that's... Although really and truly, did it help? Did, did the last time you worried and had a life full of anxiety, did it help? I mean, tell me, I'm going to give you testimony. You worried and your worry produced some marvelous results. No. Actually, you found out 50% of your worry was fantasy didn't happen anyway and the rest of it gave you an ulcer um, no but here he comes uh, head down head down there, there's something to that you know your body many 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 times perfectly reflects the state of your mind and inner core person uh, and the head goes down in days like this really does literally head goes down and, and when your head goes down, all you can see is the earth. That's it. I mean, it's just the first foot in front of you, the dirt and the concrete. And, of course, you could include into that earth the circumstance that you're in. When your head goes down and you're absorbed in the first minute of pavement in front of you, or a piece of dirt, well... That then in that moment, all you're thinking about is your circumstances and the impossibility of your situation. In the scripture, the head held up is, is described really as a spiritual act of them looking up into the heart of God. I'm looking down and, and down. There's nobody else down there except me looking down. And so I feel my aloneness. And of course, if I'm looking down, I'm not facing the circumstance, actually. I'm trying to avoid it. I'm looking down, looking away, cowering before its greatness and power. And of course, you're not facing people either. You're looking down. You're not meeting anybody's eye. You avert your gaze and turn downward. And everybody knows that that's guilt. It's certainly shame. The person who can't meet your eye, the person who's always looking down. Well, what's, what is it? Well, you see, you're not enough. Right? You see, you're just plain not enough. You can't handle this situation. You're going down with the ship and you're ashamed. And if you want to go back far enough to Satan's first words, you shall be as God, you're supposed to handle this, little God. But we can't. And so there's physical agitation. There's that torment in our stomach, usually. Head down. Body is hunched over. and You're crushed with an invisible load. David actually wore sackcloth, which was very Hebrew, to declare I'm going to my own funeral. Hmm. And at the end of that... He said, Selah, stop. Yeah, I suppose Selah would be, stop. I know the actual word is pause, which is 
but but it's pause with deliberation it's pause with intention it isn't pause because I can't think of anything else right now it's pausing knowing I'm going to go on but right now pause in the presence of God or maybe as another psalm says be still and know that I am God there's this raging circumstances that are going like a creek in flood Uh, stop stop the flesh has no comprehension of God stop and be aware of the presence of God remember who he is and remember who you are stop that's what it says stop Selah be still pause in life with intention and having done so the first word of verse 3 is but aha but 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 yes every line of verse 1 and 2 is correct that is true the people are like that but don't stop there but there is more going on in the arena of your circumstance than anyone is seeing they're leaving out the most vital part of the equation stop and stop for as long as it takes stop and in that stop wherever David's mind was at in that deliberate pause he refuses to entertain the idea or the possibility of the idea that Satan and the people and in fact everybody he knew he refused to entertain the possibility that they were right maybe he's even more alone in that moment than he was before he is saying I don't care what the entire world says but in my stop and including into all of my thinking the presence of the covenant God then let God be true and if it means every man is a liar and I believe that's why when he writes this did you know um, he, he says many are they many are they that is he's separating himself from them it's, it's me and the presence of God and they he separates them they who are saying all that they're saying He comes to the center, the core of his being, where he, in whatever situation he is, he, his essential person, is in union with God. Father and Son and Holy Spirit is in union. And out here on the edge of me, my thoughts are are like a tsunami and my emotions are falling apart. 
and everybody out there is joining with them. But here at my very center where I look at I in the presence of God, he says, but whatever you say may be true, but there is a truth that overrides it all and changes everything. But, but, but is is like an axe breaking into wood. But, it's the slamming down of a gate that says, so far, no further, but, you've got to change all your thinking, but, you know, on a lesser scale, a person says, you're a wonderful fellow, but, and you know it's coming. That, that everything he's just said doesn't count anymore. But does that. You say but, and it means everything up to this point might have been nice, but I, it, it doesn't you know, hold any water. What I'm now going to say is what I really believe. So, But the intentional response to his thoughts, the intentional response of truth, that up until this point, the truth has been sort of drowned out by the noise, like zoo at feeding time. Can't hear yourself think, but he can, out there, they're rising up. The trouble, the many that say of me, there's no hope for him in God. Then he says, hold, hold it, pause, be in the presence of God. And out of that comes, but... The noise now has to give way to the truth of but. He's not, uh, I say that it's intentional. This isn't that daydreaming. When you're in that state, you don't do much daydreaming. He doesn't sort of drift into this. Rather, into this stream of thoughts that are about to destroy him, but... He, he puts his butt into the middle of a stream of thoughts and says, stop. There's something else that must be brought into this stream of thinking, but. And the but is not about him, but about you are. You are my shield, which... That would take another hour, but it, it, the beautiful idea, it's a shield that goes all the way around you. In fact, um, the Passion Translation sometimes has it, your wrap around presence. And that's it. You're my shield. You're my glory, my honor, and the lifter of my head. And, and do you notice it's in the present tense? That is immediate. The but is not talking about yesterday. It's not just in the rocking chair saying those good old days. Nor is it saying whenever I get my act together. But introduce the immediate. In this micro moment. You are. Do you see what's happening? The but means he stops looking down where he's alone in his circumstance and he looks up in the terms of his spirit and he sees the wonder of God's love 
that never fails and never forsakes. But, but, all that you're saying may be true, but you left this out. Yes, you, you, you didn't only uh, slander me. It wasn't only accusations against me. You were accusing God of going back on his very being and breaking his covenant word. No, 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 but you are. See? You are present tense right at this moment. And notice how he does it. He doesn't debate with the people and say, now let's talk about this and let's see if we can... No, he doesn't even bother with what they are saying. He doesn't even debate his own thoughts. doesn't argue with, with his own thoughts. He doesn't speak any word to Satan or to the people. Rather, he declares into the middle of it the immediate now is of the presence of God the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. So, are you, you following me? He says this, he proclaims it against, in the face of the very opposite, which was the mixture of his thoughts at that time. Certainly the thoughts of the people. And he hurls something into it and against it. All the lies and all the whispers in the darkness. He looked through the hopelessness. He doesn't try to argue with it. He doesn't try and debate the hopeless and the despair. He looks through it and says, you are right at this moment when nothing has changed here, but you are. You are my shield, my glory, the lifter of my head. You are. Or you could put it this way. It's as if he went straight up into the presence of God. Why, why do I emphasize that? Because, you see, many of us were raised in a religious view of life that said you had to sort of, well, their favorite expression was get right with God, you know. So, David, you're in this miserable state. Um, you, you just can't barge into God. You've got to have a suitable repentance and try and get some faith going and read your Bible more of you know, and so probably my deliverance from this thinking will come in a couple of weeks. No. He, he left all the thinking just as it is. And he inserted into it the but that God himself was. His shield and his glory and the lifter of his head. And in so doing, He's not paying any attention to the thoughts of the flesh that are hurled from the darkness. He just beholds God and I am, I is, into the very immediate presence of the love of God. Do you know what I'm talking about? When tribulation, trials, temptation, they're hurling thoughts at you. Don't debate them. And don't say, I won't, I won't, I'm not going to think this out. No. Just go straight into the presence of God and announce who He is. 
And you will find that in the light of the presence of God, all the darkness just fades. You don't rebuke the darkness in a room, you simply switch on the light. And darkness isn't there anymore. Be into the, is into the presence of God. And the darkness loses. It's not about, I don't care what they say. I don't care what they say. I don't care what the prognostication of situation is. The only thing that matters is who you are. Not what they say, but who you are. You are. And that phrase, lifter of my head... It's a great phrase, and it's a specific phrase in the Hebrew language. Head, of course, means my entire person. When you take a, a photograph of someone, you take a picture of their head, not their knees. You say, it's, it's, my head is who I am. You don't need the rest of my body. That's who I am. And, and so when it says, lift of, it's lifting my entire person. And lift your head and it draws up your whole body. And if you read in Deuteronomy where the, the scripture says, very interesting, it says that he redeemed the people from Egypt, that is from slavery and oppression and despair and hopelessness, that they might walk erect. Walk. That's interesting, isn't it? Because inevitably, head down, shoulders hunched, and you're a victim of something or somebody. He says, that's over. You're nobody's victim. And there is no burden that is too heavy. For now you're joined to my strength. So look up and shoulders back. And be walking with eyes riveted into the presence of God who's with you. Lift up your head, you see. And, and that translates it into a, a strength and a courage and a boldness. Circumstances haven't changed. Please understand that. We're dealing with the person in the middle of the circumstance. D David used this phrase. He liked it. And in Psalm 27, which was written at a similar time, and in verse 5 he says, In the time of trouble, remember Psalm 3 where it says, Many are those who trouble me, the same word. He shall hide me in his pavilion or tent. In the secret place of his tent, he shall hide me so my enemies won't even see me. That's akin to a wraparound presence. We are tented in God. And then he says, he shall set me high upon a rock. High. Lift up. And it's the same word different translation in English but lift up high upon a rock where my enemies can't touch me so I'm hidden inside his presence and I'm lifted up high and he says it then in verse 6 of Psalm 27 and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me it's the same idea God lifts me they can't touch me now all of their arrows of lies just fall clattering to the ground. So this word, lift up, set on high, it means just that, to set someone 
on high. That is promoted to a new level. Okay? It means to exalt someone. The word means in Hebrew a movement toward high, above. Do you remember when, when it talked about the ark of, of Noah? Do you read that story back there in, what is it, Genesis 7? And, and it says that as the floodwaters came, that the ark was lifted above the highest mountains. That's the same word that's used here. There's, you are lifted, and it's a movement upward toward a place that is above. Lift up. Do you remember Isaiah chapter 40 in the last verses where it says, You shall wait upon the Lord, expect of Him, and you shall mount up with wings as eagles. You shall run and not be weary, walk and not faint. You will be connected to a divine strength and seeing. It's interesting, the tradition, at least as it comes down to us, was that in a court the judge, when he would pronounce a person innocent of all charges, would come and take their chin and lift up their head. And that was symbolism of saying, you are innocent and nobody can now accuse you or touch you. That's nice, isn't it? Lifter of my head. The one who comes and lifts my chin above the darkness. No one can accuse you. No one can drag you down. God has said, is said to be high. Have you noticed that as you read through the scripture? He is the high, lifted up one. It's used of him. He, he, that gives us an idea of what he's talking about. So when David says that you are the lifter of my head, he is saying you are lifting me out of all of this to participate in who you are and to receive of the fullness of your love and strength that he is to be promoted to be elevated right you get you get that of course this word belonged eventually to the work of Jesus for everything we're talking about is summed up in Jesus who came and joined us at the bottom of the pit, joined us in our darkness and united us, took us into himself in his death. And then resurrection is the ultimate lifting up. In fact, Psalm 24 uses this expression where it says, be lifted up. You everlasting doors. And it's speaking in poetry language of the resurrection of Jesus, that the doors of the tomb open. And he says, be lifted up everlasting, and the King of glory shall come. And he comes, and you could say again, through the very doors of heaven, he comes triumphant, lifted up, resurrection above every enemy, and bringing to zero all the attempts of Satan and flesh, religion to destroy. The Holy Spirit is God lifted up, come to dwell within us, so that we, in the strength of the act,
actual person of God within us are brought to live in heavenly or high places. This isn't poetry, you know. This is the grace of God that he lifts us. He lifts us. Did, did you notice you are the lifter of my head? You are. You see, this isn't sort of our pathetic human thing. Well, cheer up. It's all going to be all right. And you jolly well know it isn't. Um, that's the best a human can do. Better keep your mouth shut. Uh, nor is it legalism. Have you ever been in, in a religious situation where when you're really losing it, I mean you are broken and hurting, and, and they say, why well, you just stuff those feelings and be a good witness? Say, it doesn't matter how you feel. you just got to put on a face. No, God doesn't do that. He, he really lifts you up. That changes your thoughts and changes your emotions. He lifts you up to see his purpose of love. He lifts you up to see things from his perspective. He lifts you up so you're looking down on it now. And you're seeing that he is with you. And, and, and he is walking you through a minefield. And, and he is your wisdom. He is giving you the, the grace, the gift of hope. Huh. You see, David didn't wait for God to get his act together, you know. I, I'm asking you, and so maybe, you know, perhaps you could kind of give me some hope. And No, David realizes it already is. Can you get this? We talked about it the other week when we talked about rest. It, it, it already is. <laughs> we, we always start. It's got to be my initiative. I've got to start this. Get used to the Bible. It's backwards. It's already is. God himself is. In Ephesians 1 Jesus is called the all in all. He's the everything. Or in Revelation, he's the A and the Z. He's the beginning and the end. He, he's the whole lot. He is it. Is it. We're not kind of getting there. He is it. The fullness of God dwells in Jesus. He is. And so we respond. And when David responded... It wasn't that God had to become something and do something. He, he was that before creation. He was all of that before Abraham when the covenant was made. And he was all of that before David was ever born. He is, he is. Our situation, we call to him and discover that he already is. Well, there's that verse that one day I've got to talk for an hour about it. Where it says, before they call, I will answer. That's daft by all human logistics. Before they call, I will answer. Yes. The, the situation you're in is in order to reveal who God already is. And David is responding to that, the God who is his shield, who is his glory, who is the lifter of his head and the giver of hope. And he's declaring that you are, 
you are. And he's stepping into that consciously. He'd forgotten for a moment. And he, and he steps into that. It's already there. Now he can abide there. But notice, although it already is, and David essentially, that's his, his place as a covenant man, he, he's not passive. He doesn't say, well, that's the way it is. He declares it, and he goes on to say, in the light of that, then I ask. He calls upon, he participates in that which already is, but he, he's active in so doing. Notice, <clears throat> I think I said this a few minutes ago, but do notice, there's no begging. David doesn't beg and whine to God. This isn't your, you know, coming forward to whine and howl and weep and beg. No, 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 no. This is a strong assurance. This is who you are. And I'm confessing, it's not only who you are, but you are joined to me so that you are the lifter of my head. It is so. He's not saying, I promise you I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll do the other and then maybe perhaps you could become... No. Straight through the darkness, cutting through his thoughts and the stream of dark consciousness, you are. See, you are. And again, I say, not even considering that what the people are saying and the thoughts that are attacking his own head, he never even considers they might be true. They couldn't be, because you are. And you are the contradiction of those thoughts. This is the union that love demands. The union that love came to make so finally real in Jesus. No separation. We talked about that in the last weeks. And I hope you haven't stopped letting the Holy Spirit enlighten you on that. Most believers believe in separation. The fact is separation, the concept of separation, came with the fall in the Garden of Eden. Satan introduced separation. So you talked about God as out there, over there, other than, and I can do this and he's over there. Separation. Really, it's the heart of all sin that we're separated. You see, do you understand there was no, um, there's no religion in the Garden of Eden. It's fascinating, isn't it? No religion in the Garden of Eden. Religion assumes separation from God and is giving you their human formulas to try and bridge the gap. Right? You, you, if you go to such a religious center, you, you listen to what's being said. It assumes that you're separated, or that other phrase I referred to, you're not right with God, not as much as you could be, should be, ought to be, shall be. So that's why you've got to come forward and get prayed for and all the rest of it because you're separated and hopefully we, we'll glue you together again, hopefully, but it might not last till Wednesday. See, separation, separation. It, the, no. Do you hear what David is saying? You, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you 
you are my shield, glory, lifter of my head. But just a minute, we're, we're getting confused here. You are my. So that which is mine, that which is me, is really you. See what I mean? No separation. I live, yet not I. It is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Hold it. Hold it. You're you're losing me. Who's who? Who's who? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens or infuses his strength into mine. So who does it? Christ who is my life. No separation. Jesus is the head. You are the body. Uh, Where does your head separate from your body? Does your head sleep in a different room because it's more important? Do you go to church and say, here's my head, my body will be in in six minutes? No, there's no separation. Daft, isn't it? No separation. Where the head is, the body is. Where the body is, the head is. When the experience of the body is experiencing the head, you're one. We are so utterly one. To a religious person, it's terrifying because they're immediately out of business. (laughs) And yet at the same time, we fall at his feet and we worship him as the high and lifted up one. And in the same breath, we know that we are one with that high and lifted up one. I said, we need more time, but do you get it? As you sit there, as David did in the middle of his circumstances, Selah, be still and know, pause in the presence of God. Things are not what they seem to be. There's things that you have not put into the equation. The but that he is and he is and you are in him that is so you didn't earn it he put you there they'll realize that you're there know that you're there dare to shout it out and then he said I lay down and slept good grief now now they say now that's irresponsible with all this happening and with Absalom advancing on us and spies we don't know where he sleeps poor chap the old man's in denial he's letting us down sleeping see what I mean the world can't handle it flesh can't handle it he slept And note, he didn't drop off because he was exhausted. This isn't the old man sitting in the chair and you realize suddenly he's gone to sleep. No, he says, I lay down. That's intention. I lay down. It's enough. I know it now. He's in me. He's with me. He's the lifter of my head from his perspective. I see hope. I see who he is and I see who he is in this moment. He's my wraparound presence shield. Turn out the lights. 
the party of pity and anxiety is over. You'll find me in my room. I'm going to lay down. And he says, I lay down and I slept. His gentle snores announced his perfect peace in God. The same as Jesus slept in the tsunami storm. He slept. Why? There's nothing. If God is who he says he is, then there's nothing to add to it, is there? He rests in his own person, then I choose to rest in his rest. I'm in his hands. I rest in his wisdom. If there's stuff to do, I'll wake up with the wisdom to do it. As I walk, I'll have the know-how. And it won't be with flashing lights. It will arise gently from within me because that's where he lives. I sleep. Healing rest. Boy, did he need it in all of this. Healing rest without any anxiety. It's all in God's hands. And there I rest. It shall be made manifest in history. It's the way it is. This is covenant normal. This is what believers look like. Instead of common sense, this is covenant love sense. And this is high spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare terrifies the darkness. See, when you are not anxious, when you are not wringing your hands in despair at Satan's lies, Satan doesn't know what to do. That's the truth. You have completely overcome Satan by being in the rest of God. You think about that. It's not... Spiritual warfare is not screaming at the darkness. It's rather ignoring the lies and resting in the truth of who God is and in his presence in you and around you. Well, there was some more, but uh, I think that's it for now. Father, we thank you. This is true. This is real. And because it is, all those who hear my voice this night, I bless you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, I bless you. That you may be lifted up into the very presence of the light, of the truth, of the love, of the unchangeable covenant love. And that you may rise from this hour together in the peace of God and the joy of the Lord your strength. So I bless you. And that is the way it is. Amen.